0: Hi there, and welcome to Vineyard Church, Delaware County's podcast. My name is Michael Hanson. I'm the lead pastor here at the church, and I am so glad that you have joined us for this week's message. I'm going to have a little bit more to say at the end, but for now, enjoy the teaching. Today, I do get to, like Vicki said earlier, I do get to wrap up a series we've been in for a good number of weeks now, really since Easter, uh, called So Now What? A Look at the Early Church. And really, right after Easter, resurrected Jesus appeared to Peter, James, John, all the, all the gang, all the disciples, all the followers of, of him, and basically said, all right, you guys, I'm tagging out, you're tagging in, I'm going back to mi padre's casa, and uh, you guys do the work that I've, I've taught you how to do. And he started to ascend up to heaven. And if I was in the group at that point, I think I would have been like literally grabbing at Jesus's ankles, like, wait, no, come back. What do you mean you're gonna leave us? Like, you're coming back tomorrow, right? Like, this is a short, short, well, no, not exactly. Uh, but, um, but I think that would have been quite a challenging thing uh, to feel the weight of that, that task. But he didn't leave them alone. He he, he sent the Holy Spirit. We've talked about that in the series. Uh, They waited for the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit came and empowered them. And he taught them what to do, and he told them what to do. Uh, He said, I want you to go and be my witnesses and to tell people about me. I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptize them. And even though you're going to face challenges, last week we we talked about challenges kind of from within and uh, hypocrisy. The week before, we talked about opposition that they faced. Even though you're going to face challenges, I'm going to bless it. And and the church grew. We've talked about this a couple times now that the church grew very very quickly, very very rapidly. From basically about 120 people to 5,000 people in a matter of just a couple weeks. I mean, that talk about rapid rapid growth. This rapid growth was a true miracle and move of God. But sometimes when something grows really rapidly, there are growing pains. There are growing pains. Right? It's it's very common in, in children and in adolescents, like forty percent of kids will experience growing pains at some point in their in their life. Something good. Something good, a child a growing child is a healthy child, right? Uh, but also sometimes there can be pain associated with that. And this isn't just true in, in kids in, in just it's true in our, in our lives and other aspects as well, right? We can also experience growing pains in our families, right? Maybe you have a child who's, who's now come of age and they've, they've grown up and now they're going out into the world and moving out on their own. And that can be kind of hard as a parent to, 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 to experience that. Sometimes you're like, it's about time. Get out of here. Like, right. But sometimes it's, it's tough, um, Sometimes maybe you're a couple and you're, you get this great news that your family's gonna grow, that you're expecting a, a child, but then you find out it's triplets, right? And now you realize like, oh, we're really growing fast and this is gonna be hard. That's the reality, this is just gonna be hard. Um, it can happen in, a, in, in your business, uh, in a company or the, the company you work for, where maybe they, you land a really big contract and it's gonna be really profitable, profitable for your business, But you don't have the workers to do the work yet. Uh, You don't have the systems in place to handle that. Everybody's gonna feel stressed and overworked and there's gonna be some some challenges involved. And really that's kind of what is happening in the church. There's been this amazing, exciting thing where 5,000 people have come to know Jesus and the church has just exploded in growth. But the systems they had in place for 120 aren't working for 5,000. And so there's some growing pains. And so we're gonna look at a story today in the book of Acts, Acts chapter six, where we're gonna see this kind of play out. And it has the potential to really divide the church. The potential for the church to almost, from the very beginning, to to, could have split in two right off the bat. But we'll see that uh, it doesn't in this case. And it it continues to grow. So it's Acts chapter six, starting off in verse one. Uh, If you wanna follow along, if you have a Bible, or Bible app, or we'll put the verses on the screen as well. So it says this. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who, who prayed and laid hands on them. And so the word of God spread and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. We'll stop right there. So what is happening in this story? What's going on in this story? Well, first, a little context is helpful. It mentions two different groups of Christian believers right in the very first verse. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So we have these two groups, the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebraic Jews. Who are these people and what's the difference? So the Hebraic Jews were... Jews that had, were native born to the Palestinian area. They grew up in Israel. They were from there and they had lived there for centuries and they spoke mostly Aramaic. That was their primary language. Jesus was a Hebraic Jew. The 12 disciples were Hebraic Jews. The Hellenistic Jews, on the other hand, they spoke primarily Greek and had Greek culture interwoven in their lives. And um, that's what Hellenistic means, Greek culture. Um, but they had, were not primarily from Israel. They had moved to the outside nations around Israel and had kind of adapted to some of their culture and customs. Thousands, or not thousands, th- hundreds of years ago to thousand years ago, Their ancestors originally lived in Israel, but because of armies coming in and attacking Israel, many of them dispersed or were exiled out to these other nations. And so they had gone off to live in these other countries. Now, many of these Hellenistic Jews had now moved back to the homeland of their ancestors uh, to stay there, or some of them had just honestly come to visit. It was, it was common that many Jews would travel to Jerusalem at different times of the year to come and visit. And one particular time we talked about a few weeks ago that many of them probably came back for was Pentecost. If you are here a few weeks ago, Michael talked about Pentecost. And during that festival, this was a unique Pentecost because at this, in this point in the story, the Holy Spirit comes in power and all the disciples and the early church leaders start speaking in different languages. And it's very likely that some of the languages they were speaking in were the languages that these Hellenistic Jews, the nations that they had lived in. And so they heard these languages being spoken and thought, well, you guys are from here. How do you know those languages? And saw the miracle of God. They believed in Jesus because of that. And it's very likely that many of them now have stayed to be a part of this church. But but we have this hurdle, this challenge to get over. There's, a, there's an ethnic challenge, a linguistic challenge, and not to oversimplify it, but historically the Hebraic Jews kind of looked at the Hellenistic Jews and saw them kind of as lesser than, lesser than because they had compromised with Greek culture. They had adapted these other things. They hadn't stayed true to the Hebraic customs. And the, the, um, the Hellenistic Jews kind of looked at the Hebraic Jews and thought, oh, you guys are just a bunch of stuck up you know, old school, traditionalists, you know. And and so there's this tension. There's this tension between these two groups. They have this awesome common faith in Jesus that's brought them together, but yet there's still these other things they have to work through. There's this other tension. It's kind of like the solid ground of Jesus is still a little bit like wet cement. And they're still trying to figure this out. So the challenge is in this story that we're learning about is that the Hellenistic Jews feel like their widows have been overlooked. They're not getting the same amount of food as the Hebraic Jews. Now, most Bible scholars don't believe this was done on purpose. Most believe that this was probably uh, an an oversight, a a poor administration, or just, just sheer misunderstanding, maybe because of the language barrier that existed. But clearly something was unfair and something needed to change. So verse two, it says... So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men among you from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. So the 12 gathered the whole church together the whole church, all of them, the Hebraic Jews and the Hellenistic Jews for this big congregational meeting and basically said, hey, we recognize we've grown so fast, the system that we have in place isn't working. And so here's what we're gonna do. We are gonna delegate. We're gonna delegate. We want you guys to pick seven people, seven people to do this task because we believe our primary calling is to preach the gospel Now, when it says in verse two, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. That phrase wait on tables can also be translated to serve or to serve tables. But it kind of sounds a little bit like the 12 have this kind of like superior attitude, like that's beneath us. And that's actually not what they're saying here. That's kind of something lost, I think, in our English translation, because the word "table" here is really is really talking about a table that, like, a money changer would use, somebody of business would use to make exchanges. It would have been a, a job, a very practical and important job, a job of managing, a job that would have taken people of integrity and honesty and a good skill set. And I honestly think that the twelve are saying, "Hey, we're not." This isn't beneath us. That's not why we're doing it. We're actually not very good at this. Some of these guys were fishermen, right? men, right? Like this wasn't their skill set. And they they recognized, "Hey, we shouldn't forsake preaching the good news to do this, which we wouldn't even be that good at." So you guys, you guys look at the rest of the church and you guys pick seven people that you would recommend who could do this and take on this responsibility. It says that the requirements were two things though. They needed to be full of the spirit and wisdom. They were looking for men who were balanced leaders, both spiritually and practically. They had to be men who had proven to be in tune with God, but also had proven to be wise and to be integritous. And so that would have been a pretty high bar set. It wasn't just anybody could do that, but they said, we want you to find seven. Now, why seven? Seven. Well, a couple things. Seven is the number in Jewish culture of completeness. So that's part of it. But also traditionally in every Jewish town, there was a council of seven well-respected men chosen by the people in the town to oversee the affairs of the town. So basically they're just sticking with their tradition and their custom in doing this. So verse five, it says, this proposal pleased the whole group, the whole group, not just the Hellenistic Jews, or, but the Hebraic Jews as well. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Paramenus and Nicholas from Antioch. And they presented these men to the uh, apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. Now what's really, really important about this and really interesting about this is all seven of those men, we don't know a ton about all of them. We know a little bit about a few of them, but all seven of those men have Greek names. Those are all Greek names. All seven of those men were Hellenistic Jews. Now, why is that so important? What, why is that so important is what better way to validate this group of people who doesn't feel represented, who doesn't feel, who, who doesn't feel like they have a voice than to say, okay, well, then we're intentionally gonna choose seven people that are from your group, your culture, to be a part of the leadership of the church on purpose, for, that, for this purpose. And it, remember, it wasn't just the Hellenistic Jews who chose their own people. The Hebraic Jews chose this too, which I think is just beautiful, just beautiful. And it says that they laid their hands on them and commissioned them to serve the church, right? The, to, to serve the church. That word serve or to wait on the tables again in verse two was the Greek word dikonian. And in English, it's translated to deacon. These are the first seven deacons of the church, which is, a you know, in, a, in some traditional churches, we still have deacons and deacon boards today in our, in our culture. So, um, so th- this is really important stuff. But what's most important is what happened after this. What happened after this? It's, it's a quick verse, but verse seven, it says, the word of God spread. The word of God spread, and the numbers of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What happened because they chose these seven men was that the church grew even more. It grew even more. It didn't split. What could have caused a divide between these two groups and split them into two churches almost right off the bat, didn't happen. Instead, it helped them grow to be even stronger. They They were even more unified and it allowed a system to be put into place where both the good news could be preached and the widows could be taken care of. Now, what can we learn from this story? How does this apply to our lives 2,000 years later? Well, three things I think that we can learn from them. And they all start with the letter C. And I, and I know that's super cheesy and annoying when pastors do that and make everything. St- I didn't plan it like that. It just happened. So I swear, it just happened that way. Um, but the first one is conflict, conflict. As the church and as individuals grow, relational conflict is inevitable. It's inevitable, that's what we see in this story, that there's this conflict in the church and they have to work towards coming up with a solution. The truth is, church can be messy at times, can it? I bet if I asked you to raise your hand, which I don't want you to, but I bet if I asked you to, if I asked you, have you ever experienced conflict within this church or another church? I bet pretty much everybody's hands would go up. It's just kind of a part, It's not has nothing to do with church. It's just part of being human beings. It's a part of, putting groups of people together, you're going to have conflict. I was reading an article this week by a Christian author and leader, Tom Rainer, uh, 25 Silly Things Church Members Fight Over. And I don't have time to read you the whole list, but I will share a few of them with you. And these were real disputes in real local churches. One church got into an argument about switching brands of coffee. They decided to switch to a stronger blend and some people left the church. I guess some people really like their Folgers or something, right? Like, I, uh, one congregation fought over whether they should use some of their land to build a children's playground or a cemetery. I'm dying to know who won that argument. Um, that was a bad, that was a bad dad joke, right? Uh, some people left the church because a member hid a vacuum cleaner from them. That seems pretty silly, petty. Uh, um, okay, one more. One church bro- had a split or a dispute. Um, because people were upset. They wanted to make sure that nobody was allowed to wear the color black in the church building because someone felt that was the color of the devil. Um, which I think I'd be in trouble today <laughs> if that was the case. Um, but, I, you know, we can joke about some of these are kind of funny, but, but on the other hand, these are really sad. This is really sad. It's really sad. Sometimes the silliest things can divide us. And other times it's, it's serious things. It's legitimate concerns and challenges like the one we, we read about here in this story in Acts, you know, and he, that, that, that come up in our churches and in this church, even in this church. Uh, it's a part sometimes that of, of life that conflicts are going to happen at times. We, 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 can't, we can't be rid of them completely, but what we can do is respond to them in healthy ways we can respond to them in healthy ways we can respond to them by not denying them by not sweeping them under the rug by not ignoring them you know the 12 that they could have said you know what we just we don't have time for this we're not going to deal with this issue like we really just don't care that much right they didn't do that they listened they cared they validated them and they worked towards a solution you know when 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 that happens in churches, we need to be able to be willing to do that. But not only that, we need to be able to be willing to do that in our own personal lives too, as individuals, as we grow. You know, the reality is this, we all have relational conflict at times, right? Whether it's with a spouse or, you know, parents and children or friends or coworkers, and we can see it as an opportunity to ignore it or deny it or sweep it under the rug, or we can embrace that it's a part of life and try to work towards solutions in it. Try to really listen, try to really listen and try to be assertive, not aggressive, but assertive in sharing our thoughts and feelings and our concerns so we can work towards solutions. You know, one of my jobs is is as a pastor, I sit down oftentimes with couples and do counseling, whether it's premarital marriage counseling or enrichment counseling. And lots of times we will talk about basically two sides of the communication coin, if you want to think of it like that, which I would say are assertiveness and active listening. Assertiveness and active listening. And being assertive means just being honest and open about what you're really thinking and feeling and wanting and, and, and not aggressive and not shouting and not yelling, but, but sharing what you, what you really mean and not assuming the other person or the other party can read your mind or, you know should know what you're thinking. Active listening is the ability for a person to, uh, to demonstrate to the other person that you truly understand them and hear them by repeating back in your own words what, what they said to you, by basically restating it in your own way so that they feel like they feel heard. They feel like you've acknowledged them. You know, in, in, in most unhealthy communication in moments of conflict between people, there's a lack in one or both of these things. You know, and Sarah and I, we've been married for how many years now? 16, 16 years now. Uh, I'm glad I got that right. I would have been in the doghouse if I got that right. Um, But, you know, we weren't particularly very good at this at the beginning. You know, we weren't very good at these two things, but over the years we've really grown in these areas and it's really helped us get through conflict uh, in a more productive way. She's really grown in being more assertive and sharing what she's really thinking and feeling. I've grown at being a better listener, a better active listener, and it's really helped us. But that's true, not just with spouses. I mean, that's true in any relationship, right? At work or, you know, friends. Like we, we, wanna, we, wanna, we wanna be able to communicate well. We wanna um, be able to work through conflicts uh, well. Um, so that's the first thing I think we can take away from this. Uh, the second one is change. Change, that's the second See, As the church and as individuals grow... Embracing change is essential. Embracing change is essential. Things are rarely static. Things rarely stay the same in this life. They're always changing. The same is true in the church. You know, again, the system in the early church in acts wasn't working. uh, Needs were not being met. And so something had to change for it to keep growing. Otherwise it could have grown stagnant or worse, could have split in two. Now, sometimes I think we can get nostalgic. We can get nostalgic. We can kind of reminisce about the good old days, right? And, and I know I'm not particularly old. I know that. But my children think I'm old. They remind me of that regularly. They think, you're so old, Dad. Uh, and, and sometimes I'll say, well, when I was a kid, it was like this. You know, when I was a kid, it was like that. And, and, and the reality is this. We can be like that sometimes. We can reminisce about the good old days when it comes to church even, And I wonder, and this is total speculation, but I wonder if there were some people who were a part of that original 120 who looked at these 5,000 and thought, I mean, I know they were excited. I'm sure they were excited, but I wonder if some of them thought, oh, do you remember when we knew everybody, (laughs) right? Do you remember when we knew everybody well? Now I don't know who any of these people are, right? And that was like last week uh, that all that changed. You know, and we can be the same way too. Hey, do you remember when the church was smaller and we, we had a relationship with everybody here at, at VCDC. Some of you have been around for a long time. Uh, or maybe about your small group. Hey, do you remember when our small group was just a few good friends and there were, it felt so intimate? And now it's just grown and it's bigger. And now we gotta start a new small group and plant a new small group. We gotta plant churches and send people out to plant churches, right? Change can be hard. It can be hard in a church. But I believe that the fear of change is one of the ways that the enemy tries to stunt the growth of the church. Fear of change gets us stuck, stuck, almost in like that wet cement, instead of moving forward on solid ground. Now, that's not to say that continuity and consistency and regular things are good. Like, that's not a bad thing. But we have to be willing to adapt and make changes from time to time. We have to be willing to get to know new people on the weekends, We have to be willing uh, to start new small groups and, and those kinds of things and see what God does. See how God grows us and how the church spreads. And that's true not just as a church, but also as individuals in our own personal lives. I think sometimes the fear of change too often holds us back from stepping into something we know God is calling us into. We know God is calling us into this area of our life or to do something or get involved in something, but it's gonna mean things are gonna change a little bit. And so we resist because, because we just, we fear of the unknown, fear of that change. And if that's you today, I would encourage you to get prayer for that, that God would fill you with boldness and courage to step into that thing that you know he's calling you into. So conflict is one, change is two. And the third one is calling. That's the third C. As the church and as individuals grow, Acknowledging calling in others is crucial. In this church in Acts, it was not the 12 who picked these seven people. It was the whole congregation who acknowledged that these seven men were the ones that God had had called to do this task. They were the ones that they saw the spirit and wisdom in them that these men were, they believed were chosen to do this particular job. In the vineyard, we have this acronym involved that we talk about when we talk about speaking into people's calling and encouraging them. It's, it's I-R-T-D-M-N, which I know is really weird. I-R-T-D-M-N. And it stands for, I'm really tired of dealing with Michael's nonsense. That's <laughs> uh, that true? But he's literally on the other side of the world right now, so he can't stop me. So that's why I figured it was a good time to do it. no. Uh, What it really stands for is is six words, identify, recruit, train, deploy, monitor, and nurture. Now we don't have time to go into all these in total detail, um, but I believe this is what we see. A lot of this, we see this happening in this story, that these men were identified, that the church identified these seven men saying that, thinking that these, were, these are the guys I think could do this task really well. I think these are the people who are called to do this. And then they recruited them. They went after them. They must've had some sort of conversation with them and said, hey, we think you'd be really good at this. Would you agree to doing this? Now the training part I, that we don't specifically see it in the story, but it, it's clear that there must've been some sort of training or they had some past life experience that proved that they were ready for this. Otherwise they wouldn't have uh, done it, I'm sure. But we see the, that the, they are deployed to go do it. Literally the, the 12 lay their hands on them and commission them and say, okay, now go do this task. We, de- we deploy you to go do it. Um, monitor and nurture. The, the story ends before we get to see evidence of that. But I believe that those were sure for sure happening because of the result, because of the result that the church grew. The church grew. They must've been doing their job really well, And so we need to continue to do this as a church, to, to speak into the things that we see in each other and call it out in each other and encourage each other, uh, not just the church, but also at our, in our own lives outside of these walls as individuals. We can speak into the lives of the people around us right? As friends, with our friends and people that are in our lives, we can encourage them and identify the things that, that we see God doing in them and the ways he might be gifting them. Parents, this is part of your job as parents to do this with your children, to identify the things, to look for the things that God is raising up in them and speak life into that and encourage them in that. Youth, you can do this with your peers at school or a middle school group. Like you guys can do this too. You can, you know, when you see, say something like, hey, you know, you're really good at art or you're really good uh, at math or you're really good at just making sure everybody gets along. You know, have you ever thought about pursuing art or being an engineer or going into counseling or something like that, right? We can speak into other people's lives. It's often, this is how we, God often guides us in this way. I would not be a pastor. This is not the job I would have just thought up on my own to be if it wasn't for other people calling things out in me and saying, hey, do you know that you're, you, when you stalk at small group and things like this, you're really good at this. And oh, I am? I don't, I didn't think I was. Like it, it was through people seeing things in me that I didn't see in myself that I began to understand my calling and what God was inviting me into. So that's part of, of, of what we are called to do as the church. In as individuals. Now, if the worship team wants to start to make their way back up, I will wrap up with this. The church grew. The church grew. We've seen that week after week after week in this series, that the church was growing very, very rapidly. And the conflict today that could have divided them instead resulted in a positive change and into speaking, calling into these seven men's lives and the, the capacity for the church to grow grew. It allowed even more people to, to, to come and be a part of it. And despite hypocrisy that we talked about last weekend, that Heather talked about last weekend, despite opposition that Vicki talked about the week before, despite these challenges, the church still grew. And the church is still growing today. It's still growing today here and around the world. This church is still growing today because we are standing on the shoulders of our brothers and sisters before us who followed this mission that Jesus gave them to do. And we are following their example as they followed Jesus. And and it's continuing to grow. And it will be passed on eventually to our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids and our great-grandkids. So now what do we do? So now what? What we do is we continue to wait and depend on the Holy Spirit to guide us and empower us. We continue to be as witnesses to the people around us. We continue to make disciples and baptize people. And we continue to love this world and expand the kingdom of God and watch this beautiful thing, the church, that wasn't man's idea, only his idea, grow and thrive. That's what we're called to do. That's the, so now what? Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand up? Well, thanks so much for joining us today. I hope that what you heard has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and to contact us, go to vcdc.org. We'll bless you. Have a wonderful week.